0: This is Nancy Nagman, Director of Educational Service and a member of Team Health's Women and Leadership Steering Team. The Women in Leadership Career Development Committee is pleased to offer this podcast series on leadership skills. Joining me today is Dr. Sonia Peace. Dr. Peace has served as the CMO of Team Health Anesthesiology Division since 2008 and has been a diplomat of the American Board of Anesthesiology since 1999. Dr. Peace received her Master's in Anesthesiology from Emory University and her medical degree from the Medical College of Georgia before completing her residency in anesthesiology at Jackson Memorial Medical Center and Miami Children's Hospital in Miami, Florida. She has also recently completed her MBA at the Haslam College of Business at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, Tennessee. Dr. Pease is responsible for the implementation of clinical best practices and quality performance across all of Team Health anesthesia practices and has been driving the force behind the development and operational deployment of our proprietary anesthesia quality registry, Optometrics. Dr. Peace has also been a leader in the perioperative surgical home initiative at the national level and has been instrumental in developing the perioperative care paths and CMS-recognized episode-based quality measures used in new alternative payment models and value-based care payment methodologies. Dr. Pease, it's a pleasure speaking with you today and I would like to start off by asking what were the drivers that made you stand up the anesthesia quality registry Optometrics and have made you such a champion around patient quality and
1: safety? Well, thanks, and uh, thanks for muddling through that uh, bio. (laughs) A lot of big words in there. Um, I appreciate it. Um, You know, I have been a champion of patient quality and safety initiatives pretty much my entire professional career. I think wanting uh, the best practice for our patients is instinctive to all of us as healthcare clinicians, but I think the vision I had for Optometrics was born out of my personal passion to improve patient care, specifically to anesthesia anesthesiology, because our specialty didn't have anything like this um, when we started uh, developing it. Um, I believe passion uh, is, is part of anyone's life uh, great pursuits, but most of us, um, it's born by experience and, and through impactful events, or I guess that that's how I got my passion for quality. I think um, I had two, you know, uh, majorly impactful events that occurred early in my medical career that in looking back, I can clearly identify as both the life and the career-altering events that ignited my passion for patient quality and safety. A life altering event occurred when I was a third year medical student. I had a beautiful eight pound baby daughter, Haley. She was unexpectedly born with a cardiac defect that required immediate surgery within the first day of her life. Surgery went perfectly well, but about a week later, she was about to be discharged from the pediatric ICU um, and she was transfused a unit of blood that was intended for another child. It was just a tragic human error. My daughter had an immediate cardiac arrest She was resuscitated, but she died many weeks later from complete kidney failure caused by the anaphylactic reaction from getting the wrong blood transfusion. The grief at losing my daughter was overwhelming, but I think what I remember so well during those really dark, blurry days is how much not only did it impact me and my family, but the entire PICU staff grieved. My entire medical school class grieved. Things like this are not supposed to happen. We exist to save lives, not to take them. I don't know anyone in medicine who has not experienced first or second hand the impact of a medical error. The career altering event happened early in my professional career back in the 1980s. There was a key publication that came out from Harvard in 1978 around anesthesia safety errors that caused a group of anesthesiologists and patient safety experts to get together and establish the Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation uh, called the APSF. The Anesthesia Patient Safety Foundation was the first independent multidisciplinary organization created for the sole purpose of helping clinicians avoid preventable adverse clinical outcomes, especially those related to human error. The APSF created a systematic approach to anesthesia care based on the aviation-inspired critical incident analysis technique used to better understand the causes of anesthesia-related mishaps and injuries based mostly on human error. The death rate from anesthesia back then was about one to two deaths per 10,000 anesthetics. Malpractice for anesthesiologists was just crazy expensive. People actually were more afraid of the anesthesia than the surgery itself, and movies like Coma just fueled that fear. But then in the late 1980s, three big things happened in the specialty of anesthesia. The uh, The first thing that actually happened was that every anesthesia machine was required to have an oxygen meter to actually measure the percent of oxygen being delivered to a patient under anesthesia. The second thing that happened was that all anesthesia machines were also required to have a safety lockout on our flow meters so that we couldn't accidentally turn off the oxygen flow meter and give a hypoxic gas mixture to our patient. And the third big thing that happened in the late 1980s is that this miraculous device called a pulse oximeter Um, came on the scene. This pulse oximeter is actually just a simple-looking finger clip that goes on a patient's finger, and it monitors the actual oxygen saturation within our patient. These uh, fairly simple uh, changes transformed the face of anesthesiology. All of a sudden, anesthesiology became the leader in patient safety and error prevention to the point that death caused by anesthesia is literally one in a million event these days. I think these two events, losing my daughter to just a uh, senseless human error, and seeing firsthand how transformationally approaching patient safety could impact the lives that we touch as healthcare professionals, created a passion to do something more. All of a sudden, every untoward event, every case review, every root cause analysis that I was aware of as a physician became a call to duty. It's kind of like that saying. When you change the way you look at things, it changes the way things look. Um, Standing up our Optometrics quality registry was a result of knowing that this was absolutely the right thing for our patient care. We can drive better patient outcomes, it's also good for business, since our business demands quality patient care, and this drives value for our clients. We launched Optometrics back in 2008 on a wing and a prayer and a very small budget, and now it is the, the single thing that I think differentiates our anesthesia division from all of our competitors in the marketplace. I think as physician leaders, we have to believe and trust in our passion to do the right thing for our patients, but we also have to be able to articulate the business needs that make sense organizationally to actually make our vision a reality.
0: Dr. Peace, I just want to thank you for, I mean, I think those are two great examples, um, both personal and powerful, about showing, setting a vision and also being able to inspire others, which we know are key leadership skills. Can you tell me just a bit more about the Optometrics program and perhaps give an example of how you were able to overcome a hurdle based upon that ability to inspire others to action?
1: Um, Optometrics is a quality program We are actually capturing over 500 discrete data elements on every single anesthesia case that we provide services for. We're uh, collecting metrics like on-time starts, case delays, uh, reasons as as to the the service metrics of our our specialty. But we're also capturing anesthesia quality measures like the actual number of patients that have to be re-intubated after anesthesia or the percent of patients having uncontrolled nausea or vomiting in the recovery room. We know that these things happen, but what we didn't know before was what is the normal benchmark for any given practice and how do we drive performance improvement around these measures once we do know those benchmarks. It's very powerful to be able to go back to a practice with meaningful data and to recognize where there are opportunities that we can actually improve patient care on the ground. I have never yet, had a physician not want to do better for their patients. The nurse anesthetist and our anesthesiologist and our, our uh, anesthesiologist assistants are on the front lines and they immediately will take whatever that data is and be able to transition it into, into organizational and implement changes within their practice to improve patient care. We're continuing to see our benchmarks improve year over year in sites as they started. Um, some of our sites started with a post-op nausea and vomiting rate in the 50s to 60%. These are the number of patients that are requiring um, anti-nausea drugs in the recovery room. And we've been able to drive that number down to under 10% in a lot of our best practice sites. These type of initiatives don't just improve patient care, patient satisfaction. They, have, they come with um, really significant cost savings to our hospital clients. So I think it's important to stand up for what you know is right. Uh, don't get frustrated with the process of working through uh, getting these type initiatives standing, uh, standing up. Um, you have to find executive sponsors who get you and who will support you and just be relentless in your pursuit of excellence and behalf of your patients. Just some great
0: results that you articulate there, and what I think is also apparent by the description of that and what is also called out is that one of another leadership skill is effective communication, and it seems like being an effective communicator has enabled you to execute projects like Optometrics. Could you share with our audience just some additional insights regarding effective communication? (laughs)
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, communication is absolutely key. Um, I once had a very wise young woman uh, tell me that you rarely remember what someone said to you. You seldom even remember what someone did for you, but you always remember how someone made you feel. And I think about this when trying to communicate to my family, to my colleagues, and especially to professional contacts and even strangers. Talking about feelings is not something that we are good at organizationally or professionally, but it is so important in how we communicate. It's not so much about the touchy-feely stuff, it's actually more about the generic stuff. Why do I need to communicate this and how is this going to make this person feel? What's in it for the audience that you are targeting? Why do you care? Why should they care? When communication is about attending to the needs of the team that you are serving, then I think it's a lot easier. It's like talking to a trusted colleague or collaborating with a teammate. Communication is about getting everyone on the same page or defining objectives or even breaking bad news, but it has to be delivered in good faith and with good intentions to move forward in a way that is respectful and constructive, in a way that makes your team or the folks that you're working with know that you care and want to engage with them in this conversation. You can't engage people through top-down dictator-type messaging, especially if you're trying to change the culture of how things are done.
0: And I couldn't uh, I mean, I just agree so much with that statement because I like the way that you emphasize the effective communication really is about the recipient. And I'm sure in your career you had to deliver news or directives that perhaps the audience or recipient may not have
1: agreed with. And can you give an example of how you handled that? Sure. Um, You know, I think one of the most challenging examples I can give goes back to in the early days when we were standing up our Optometrics uh, Quality Registry. You know, as if getting your own anesthesia clinicians on board was not challenging enough, it turns out that some of the loudest, and literally when I mean say the loudest, I mean the loudest, and the most honorary folks who objected to our anesthesia quality program was our surgeons, since our surgeons are outside of our span of control. It turned out that our quality program was perceived as a threat to our surgeon as it focuses on surgical outcomes. And we had a lot of surgeons feel threatened that they would be judged based on our outcome data. I remember on many occasions having to face a very angry mob of surgeons wanting to shut down our quality program. It took a lot of hand holding and explaining the nature of peer review, the performance improvement, but ultimately it took gaining their trust and the respect as they began to understand how this directly improved care for their patients. For example, We have sites where we've aggressively gone after perioperative glucose control for our diabetic patients, and we've seen huge improvements in our post-op surgical site infection rates surgeons are evaluated by the number uh, by the number of post-operative surgical site infections that their patients suffer. So once they understood how our interventions based on the data-driven performance improvement initiatives that we implemented because of our quality program and how this impacted their patient outcome outcomes, they came on board and have turned into some of our most vocal supporters. I definitely learned a few hard lessons along the way, but one of the most important lessons was recognizing that communication doesn't just end with your own team you have to effectively communicate to all the key stakeholders that your changes are going to impact
0: thank you so much and I want to say your practical examples and your life experience on visionary leadership the ability to inspire others and effective communications I found it so helpful and I want to thank you Dr. Peace for participating in this women in leadership podcast series I think this just shows that it's a great demonstration of how we can learn from one another, and I appreciate your time today.
1: I agree. I I look forward to our other podcast as well. Thank you for letting me uh, participate. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.